Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right, well, good morning. How are we this morning? Good, good. Hey, that's getting a little bit better every week. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's good to hear you. It's good to see all your faces this morning. I'm thrilled to be here as we continue our series, All In. Can anybody remind me, what does it mean to be all in? All in with God? All in with one? Come on, you can do it. All in with one another? All in for the community? And all in for the world? You can do better than that. We've been, we've been doing this for three weeks. You can do better. Ready? Here we go. All in for it with God? All in with one another? All in for the community and all in for the world. Yes, that's right. So over the next or the last three weeks and on in for the next 10 weeks, we are going to be diving into the book of Nehemiah. And the whole focus is how can we be all in with God? How can we be all in with one another? How can we be all in for our community? And how can we be all in for the world? And so up to this point, right, in the story of Nehemiah, he has experienced a lot of emotions, right? God has come to him. He's living in, uh, he's living in Persia, serving as under the king Artaxerxes when he gets a holy discontentment. We talked about that last week, that a calling, God's calling on your life begins with a holy discontentment, right? That something's not right, that something has to be done, And in this case, God calls Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem, to call the people to be all in and to get busy rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And so that's kind of where we are in the story. And so if you would, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to finish off chapter two this morning, and we're even going to dive into chapter three just briefly, but we're going to spend most of our time closing out chapter two this morning. The great thing about this morning is, is we're going to see something really cool. Nehemiah is going to take his first steps into Jerusalem. So he's going to, he's going to get to see the the ruins themselves for the very first time. He's going to get to lay eyes on them. And so what we're going to see is, is Nehemiah taking some serious steps of progress. And what I think we can do is we can learn as we progress towards being all in, we can, we're going to be progressing as well. And what we need to know is how do we face opposition? How do we face some of the things that happen when we start making progress? And so there's four things that I hope we can learn this morning from the book of Nehemiah. You ready? Here's the first one. You're taking notes. This is your first point. Satan does not like progress. Satan doesn't like progress. He doesn't, does he? We can even feel that. Every time we seem to take a step, what happens? We're met with opposition. It's opposition from the enemy, and that's what you see in the life of Nehemiah here. You'll see this beginning in verse 9. If you want, grab your Bible and look with me here. The text says, Then I, speaking of Nehemiah, he came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king, he had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, listen to this, it displeased them greatly. Why were they displeased? Well, keep reading. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And so Nehemiah, he shows up first time in Jerusalem. He shows up and what is he met with? 
opposition. He runs into opposition. Why is that? Because Satan doesn't like progress. And he certainly doesn't like progress for the people of God. See, there's a couple of things that are happening here you need to see. Right? First and foremost, when Nehemiah shows up, he is threatening Sanballat and Tobiah's territory. He's threatening their authority. But not only is he doing that, he's coming to seek the welfare of the people of God. He's uprooting a good thing that they've got going on as they're taking advantage of the people of God. And so when Nehemiah shows up, he's threatening their authority. He's threatening all of those things. And here's, here, here's the point of all of that. Satan would like nothing more than to keep God's people at bay, living in bondage and in shame. And so Nehemiah shows up and he begins to threaten that. He begins to threaten that authority. I want you to think about this. Think about this. If Satan can keep God's people living apart from him and separated from one another, guess what? We're not a threat. The people of God are no longer a threat and he can rest. He can rest. But what do we know to be true? While Satan might think he has authority, God owns the game. God owns the game, doesn't he? Yeah, amen, he does. And so while Satan thinks, oh, well, I've got authority, I can keep the people of God in bondage, I can keep them living in shame, God has another plan for the people of Israel, and we're going to see that unfold as we continue to study the book of Nehemiah. And so point number one, we see that Satan does not like progress. But here's the second thing that we see, and this is really neat. Satan's threats aren't always what you or I may think. Opposition doesn't always come in the forms that we might think they are. You see this in verse 11. Look with me there. The text says, So when I went to Jerusalem, and I was there for three days, then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart, into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate and to the dragon spring and to the dung gate and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Verse 14. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And so I went up in the night by the valley and I inspected the wall, and then I turned back, and I entered by the valley gate. And so I returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. See, this is the very first time since hearing the news that Nehemiah had actually set foot in Jerusalem. Where he'd actually seen the walls himself, seen the ruins himself. And so he and a few trusted men gathered up together, and they ride around the walls at night. And then that next morning, they come together, and they gather all of the leaders of Jerusalem, and they say, hey, come. Hey, let's talk about this. And, and look what he says. In verse 17, he says this. I told them, you see the trouble that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. And then he calls them together. He calls them right here. He says, be all in. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. You know, it's almost like Nehemiah comes to the people, the, the, the leaders of, of Israel and says, guys, how, how can you guys live in this? How can y'all live in this mess? How are you content 
living with your walls down, living in bondage and shame and vulnerable to the enemies around you, how in the world have you been able or been okay living in this mess? But I think that's the trouble, isn't it? That's the trouble with contentment. It's the trouble with complacency. See, sometimes when you get so used to something that you just say, oh well, it is what it is. Now hear me, I think this is incredibly important because I don't want us to fall prey to the belief that opposition only comes by forms of verbal attack or physical attack, but sometimes the greatest threat to our progress, sometimes the most difficult things that can happen to you and to me as we progress is complacency and comfort. Remember, we talked a little bit about that last week. We talked about comfort being the greatest threat to our progress. Well, did you know that complacency is comforts, really, it's this kind of younger brother. And so the greatest threat to our progress as a church as we move forward is going to be complacency and comfort. This is what happens, right? This is kind of what I mean. Oftentimes, we walk around ruins long enough, we become used to them. We become complacent. We become comfortable to the point that we forget about all the trouble that we're in. We forget, man, I forget about all the trouble that we're in. We forget that we're vulnerable to the enemies. We forget that we're in bondage or in shame. Or on the other side of the spectrum, we become so overwhelmed with the ruins. We become so overwhelmed with this weight that we put on our shoulders, this bondage, and maybe the shame for the sin that we're caught up in or the poor decisions that we're making that we just throw up our hands and we just give up. But either way, either way, Satan is not worried about a complacent people. He's not worried about a comfortable people. But hear me, Satan is terrified by a people who are all in. Satan, he's he's not worried about a, a church or a people who are complacent or comfortable where they're at, but he is absolutely terrified of a church who is all in with God who's all in with one another, who's all in for our community and who is all in for the world. He is terrified. And if I have any hope for us, it's that we would keep Satan on the ropes. We push up against him and we keep him in that corner. Because you know what? That's where he belongs. That's where he belongs. And I believe with all my heart that if Satan is not already terrified, he's soon to be. He's soon to be as you and I make the decision to take that step. It might be uncomfortable. It might be hard. But as we take that step and say, God, you know what? I'm going to be all in. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what you're going to call me to. I don't know how you're going to provide it. But you know what? I'm going to be all in. And as we all take that step together, I believe that it's going to put Satan on the ropes. And that's where we want him to stay. That's where we want to keep him. Satan doesn't like progress. His threats aren't always what you may think. But also, I want you to keep something in mind. Now, this might be tough, but I want you to keep it in mind. This is point number three. Not all who begins with us will finish beside us. So not all who begin with us are going to finish beside us. I want you to do me a favor. Jump down into chapter three. So in chapter three, the people are gathered together. They're all in. Man, it's an exciting time for Jerusalem. Man, they're, they're ready to work. They've got shovels in hand. Man, they are working. They are active. They're moving. They're moving together. And then I want you to jump down to verse five, the latter part of verse five. 
So the people are gathered together, they're working. And then the latter half of verse 5, the text says, but their nobles refused to stoop down and serve their Lord. I want you to think about that just for a minute. See, in every church, in every organization, in every group, there's always a group of people that for whatever reason refuse to stoop and to serve their Lord. Refuse to be all in. You know, maybe they're here because, well, this is just what we do. This is what I grew up to do and this is what we do on Sunday mornings. There's a myriad of different reasons on why that group of people come to church on Sunday mornings. But the reality is they're in every group And yet, regardless, one of the biggest problems that we have today is that we live in a me culture. You feel that? Y'all feel that me culture that we live in where everything is about me, right? I've often heard, well, well, that's a generational, that's a young generation thing. But you know what, guys? It's really not. It's not a young generation thing. It's an everybody thing. It's a humanity thing. It's a people thing. See, post-fall, you know what happened? We have this thing living within us. It's called selfishness. Where I desperately want to bow down to the idol of me. Where the worship is all about me. The preaching is all about me. The building is all about me. Everything is about me. And as soon as it's not about me, guess what? Well, I'm free to move to the next church down the road. We live in a me culture where everything is situated around me. But I want us to remember this. I want us to remember this. That the church is for us. And it is a good gift for us by God. The people in this room, this is a good, good, amazing gift from God for us. But it is not about us. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about the worship of His name. And it's about Him advancing His kingdom to the ends of the earth through us. See, that's why we gather here. right? We gather here to worship His name. Not to worship my name. Not to worship your name. right? To worship Jesus' name. To, to lift Him high and lift it up. I was listening to a story this morning of talking about uh, uh, the value of what it truly means to worship God. But it's really hard to come on a Sunday morning and worship God when I'm focused on worshiping me and my preferences and what I want. And see, guys, what happens when we catch this vision, man, this is it's beautiful. What happens when we catch this vision is that when I walk in here, when the church is no longer about me, I'm not so worried about the worship style. I'm not so worried about the, the music. You want to know why? Because I'm just here to worship God. I'm just, I'm just here to worship Him, right? When, 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 when the worship service, when church is no longer about me, you know what? I show up and I'm here early. I'm here early and I'm not expecting to be greeted. I'm expecting to greet others. And you know what? There might be some new folks here and I might connect with them and invite them to my house. I might even invite them to my home after for lunch. Wow, how cool would that be? Right when, when the church is no longer about me, I'm, I'm really not upset if somebody sits in my pew. And I know I've occupied that for 30 years. I know. I know, but you know what? How awesome would it be if, if a guest came and sat in your pew and they heard the gospel and they believed 
and their lives were transformed. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. How awesome would that be? How awesome would it be if, if guests showed up here and, man, they sat in the wrong place? And God forbid that they sit in the wrong place. And their families got connected here and their kids, man, their kids came to know Jesus, right? Their lives were transformed and they were going back to their schools and they were telling other people, hey, you got to come check out what, what has happened at First Baptist Belton. I gave my life to Jesus. How awesome would that be? That's how we reach the next generation, y'all. That's how we reach this, this people who are living in Bell County and to the, all across the globe by saying, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's about God. And praise God for that. But see, guys, when the church is about me, when I make it about me, the nobles refuse to stoop to serve their Lord. And listen, I think it's because he was never their Lord in the first place. That's conjecture. But you know, I, I just question it. See, the, the reality is, is there's only one throne on your heart. And there's only room for one person on the throne of your heart. And every day we have to make the choice. Is it going to be God who's going to reign on the throne of my heart? Or is it going to be me? Is it going to be God today? Is it going to be me? See, for us as a church who, who know the Lord, who walk with Him, we have got to remove self off of the throne of our hearts and say, you know what, God? I get it. This is going to be hard. Man, change is tough, y'all. I get it. I know change is hard. It's brutal. But it's going to be worth it because we're going to see a generation come to know Jesus. We're going to see a generation come to serve Jesus passionately, and we're going to see a generation come to share Jesus globally. That's what happens when the church is no longer about me. And so I want you to hear this with a heart of grace, a heart of love, because you've got to know how much I love you, how much I appreciate you. I've never felt so blessed in all of my life than I have by this church. It has been an amazing three weeks, and they haven't changed the locks on my door, and I'm, I'm really thankful for that. <laughs> my wife is very thankful for that. I love you. I love you. And that's why I'm going to tell you the truth. If you plan to be like these nobles, I am pleading with you. I am pleading with you to reconsider whether or not this is the right church for you. If you plan to refuse to sit on the throne of your heart and say, you know what, I refuse to stoop down and, and, to, and to serve the Lord, then please, by all means, by all means, reconsider, is this the right fit for you? Because we're going to be all in. And we're going to be active in the community. By God's grace, we're going to see thousands and thousands of churches planted all over the globe. We're going to see thousands of people come to know Jesus, but it's going to take every single one of us to say, I am all in. That can't just be a slogan. It can't just be a saying. And I'll tell you, man, it's been a lot of fun listening to people say, I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm all in, but don't let it stay there, right? We got to be truly all in. And so these statistics that say 10% do 90% of the work, that does not apply to us. That would be me saying, okay, cool, well, 90% of you are living in sin, and I'm okay with that. I am not okay with that. We're going to set the bar high. We're going to get after it. Statistics show that right now we've got about 30% doing 70% of the work. That's not okay. That is not okay. God has got a calling on your life. 
He's calling you to be all in. 30% cannot float an entire budget. 30% cannot fill all of the spots that we have for people to volunteer. I need you. God needs you. We need you. I need you. You need me. We all need one another to be all in. And so I am pleading with you, let's be a church who is all in. And here's the reason why, guys. This is where it all lands. This is where we land the plane. Point number four. God always gets the last word. Always. He wins. In verse 18, Nehemiah, he cast the same vision. And I want you to see how the people respond. Look there in verse 18. In verse 18, he says, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And look how they respond, guys. This is beautiful. Look how they respond. They said, well, then let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the work. You know, oftentimes you can tell a whole lot about somebody by what they don't say. Notice what Nehemiah, or notice what the people don't say. They don't say, hey, Nehemiah, you get to work. Hey, Nehemiah, you can do it. They don't say any of that. They say, let us rise up and build. They're saying, hey, Logan, you get to work. Hey, you rise up and build. Hey, elders, you rise up and build. Hey, deacons, hey, 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 staff, you rise up and build. No, that is not what happens right here. Here's what's beautiful. They all take ownership of the church. They take ownership of their future, and they say, no, let us rise up and build. Let us get after it. Let us get to work. And here's something really, really cool, guys. I, I don't know if you know this, but right now, Belton ISD is struggling. And they're struggling. They don't have enough teachers in the classroom to facilitate the amount of students that they have. And so at 10 o'clock, you're going to get a text message. And in that text message, there's going to be a link for you to rise up. There's a great opportunity for you to be all in for our community. It's an opportunity where you can just fill out some paperwork and you can show up and volunteer. And I, I don't even know exactly what all that looks like. There'll be more details coming your way. And I'm sure as you click that link, it'll give you the directions and exactly what it looks like. But the point here is this is a great opportunity for us to serve our community, to love them. And so if you're willing and you're able, I would encourage you, man, sign up. Go be a presence in our schools, right? Go be the light of Jesus in our schools, even if it's for a day or two days or three days until we can get going. This is an opportunity for us to rise up, to be the church, to be the church that we are. And so it's time. It's time. It's time. It's time for us to rise up and build. It's time for us to get after it. It's time for us to cast off any form of comfort, any form of complacency, and get to work seeing the kingdom of God advanced here to the ends of the earth. And hear me, it's going to be tough. Right? Satan doesn't like progress. It's going to be met with opposition. You better believe it. You better believe it. There's no doubt about it. Because hear me, Sambalot and Tobias, they show back up. They show back up. You're going to see them over and over and over again. They're going to show back up. They're going to show back up. But you know what? They're mere pawns in the game. And God owns the game. I want you to remember this. There's no doubt that it'll be, be difficult. But God is faithful even in opposition. God's faithful. He's going to be faithful to this church. He's going to be faithful to you. He's going to be faithful to us as we move forward. And here's the deal. In return, I can extend this promise to you. It's the same promise that Nehemiah extends to his people in verse 20. 
In verse 20, he gathers up the people. He gives them this call. Hey, we're going to be all in. Let's get to work. And then he said, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and we will build. Our success is God's success. As we live obedient to him, as we are all in with him, all in with one another, all in for this community, all in for the world, you can better believe that God is going to give us success. He's going to make us prosperous. Why? Because he's the king. He's on the, he's on the throne of our hearts, not us. As we move forward, God is the king as we keep going. And here's the deal. I want you to see this. He looks over at Sambalot and Tobiah, and look what he says to them. Latter half of verse 20. He says, but you, Sambalot and Tobiah, but you have no portion, you have no right, or you have no claim in Jerusalem. And so here's our banner. As we get up and as we arise and we build and we're all in, we're going to move forward, and here's what we're going to do. When we're met with opposition, we're going to look at Satan and we're going to say this. You ready? Satan, you have no right, you have no portion, and you have no claim on me, on this church, on our future, in Bell County, to the ends of the earth. Our banner will be, Satan, you have no portion here. Man, let's go. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that awesome? Right? We can look at Satan and we go, hey, I'm not scared. We're not scared. You're the one on the ropes. You're just a mere pawn in the game that God has all authority in. Remember? Great Commission. What happens right before the Great Commission? Right before he says go, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then go. Right? We go because he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And praise God for that. We're playing with a winning scorecard. And so will you join me? Will you join me? I'm excited. I hope you are too. And so here's what I want to do. I want to take the next few moments and I want us to spend some time in congregational prayer. Again, as we just continue to consider what is God calling you to? What is God calling me to? What is he calling us to? And so if you would take a few minutes, I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed as we spend time with the Lord together. Now here's what I want you to do. Everybody, everybody, every head out, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to do something for me. I want you to acknowledge that while progress welcomes opposition, God is faithful. God is faithful. I just want you to acknowledge to God that He is faithful. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to our church. to think about all the different ways in which God has been faithful to you in your life. I want you to be reminded of John 16, that reminds us that in this world you will have trials and tribulations, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And you are faithful. You've overcome the world. And now I want you to spend some time, I want you to confess. Confession just simply means to agree. Agree with God regarding areas where you've allowed complacency or comfort to come between you and your worship of God and your calling to help the world come to know Him.
There's some areas in your life where you're like, man, I, you know, God, I, I get it. I agree. I need to confess these things to you. want you to give God thanks. Say, God, thank you for bringing this to my attention. And then, God, would you just give me some practical steps to move forward? God, what would you have for me? How can I be reconciled with you? What do I need to do? What do I need to add to my life? What do I need to take out of my life? Maybe to reconcile my relationship with you, that I'm walking closer with you, that, that I put you on the throne of my heart. And then number four, I want you to just surrender your life back to Him. Surrender your week. Surrender your family. Maybe your job. Finances. Anything else that you're worried or you're concerned about. Maybe it's even the future of our church. Man, surrender, that, surrender, surrender that to Him. He's big enough to handle it. Say, God, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, know what this, I don't know what this looks like, but God, I'm just going to give it to you because I know that it's, it's at its most safe place in your hands. My finances are safer in your hands than they are in mine. My family is, are safer in your hands than they are in mine. My career, my home, it's all safer in your hands than they are in mine. And so God, I just want to surrender those to you this morning. Welcome the worship band back up as we conclude our time in prayer. God, we love you. We are thankful for you, God. We just acknowledge that progress, it does, it welcomes opposition. You promise and you tell us that this is the case, that it's going to happen. But God, you remind us that while those things are true, we can take heart because you have overcome the world. And there is nothing that we will face that we cannot face as we walk through it with you and with one another. So God, I pray that as we agree with you in areas where man, maybe we have failed, maybe we've been complacent or we've, we've allowed ourselves to become comfortable, God, I pray that you would just restore us. God, give us a deep desire. Give us a calling. Give us a passion for you, God. And to see people come to know you, Lord, I pray. God, I pray that Lord, as you do, God, you would just fill us with a heart of thanksgiving. God, we, be, we would just be a grateful people. God, I pray that as we do that, Lord, we could just surrender our life to you, surrender our week, surrender our family, surrender our church, our future, all of those things, God. We just want to surrender them to you knowing that they are far better in your hands than they are in ours. Well, God, we trust you. We love you. We want to respond to you in song this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.